there's a way to help another person by being there for them. And very often it's easy to do this for other people. When it comes to tzedakah, people see it as, okay, for the person who's, you know, the poor man who knocks on the door, or a neighbor, or a cousin, or somebody who needs help, that I'll do. When it comes at home, it's a little harder. The Chazal teaches us that the Pusik oyser tzedakah b'chol eyes, right, the person who does tzedakah constantly, at all times, how can you do tzedakah at all times? I mean, if somebody asks you for a donation, it's once a week, once a month. If you're a very rich person, it's once an hour. But it's not on an ongoing basis. And the Gemurah teaches us that Charity begins at home, as, as, as the saying goes. And that's what the, that's what the Gemurah is telling us. You're able to give tzedakah by doing it to the people that you live with, people in your family. And if tzedakah means, like we're learning now, you give of yourself, you know, that's also something very uh, powerful to realize that the people around you need you. And very often you can be a big help to, to people around you and be there for them in whatever they need from you. Now, sometimes people see this as too difficult or too challenging or too much responsibility. Why do I have to be there for them? Why do I have to this? Why do I have to that? It's not my responsibility. It's their issue. It's my husband's issue. It's my wife's issue. And the point is that when you're giving tzedakah, just, just like with a poor person, it's not because it's your responsibility that that person has a livelihood. It's not because you did anything wrong or, or you're stepping up to the plate because you're taking blame. Is that you're being there for another person. And if you can do that for the people that you love and the people you care for and the people you live with, you know, that's the right thing to do. You're, help, you're helping the people you care about most in the way that you could be the most helpful. So that's just something that needs a certain amount of understanding and balance, but it's definitely something that we all want to do. Being there for other people and not for our family members is definitely not a way to go. There's so much that you could offer the people around you, whether it's your presence or your encouragement or your chizik or your help or your time or whatever it may be and the people around you are the ones that deserve it most and need it most and they can't get it from anyone else like they get it from you. So let me, let me address a question and try to balance out the idea of how much you have to give people around you, how much you don't have to, how much you want or how much you could, how much you can't and things like that. So let me, let me read this um, email. Hi, firstly, thank you so much for your show, Manshan I truly learn a lot and listen to them weekly. I have a question that I hope you will be able to address to answer in a timely manner. Okay, so first of all, Thank you for the thank you. Second of all, I mention often that whoever's looking for an answer in a timely manner should not rely on these classes. I'll be honest with you. I feel bad, but it takes many weeks, many, a few months until I get to a question. And sometimes you know, a lot of people thank me for it. And they tell me that it was helpful that I, that I eventually got to it. And other people also benefit from it. So that, that's more of, of what I'm trying to accomplish. But if anything is important and needs to be addressed in a timely manner, then I suggest not, not doing it this way and just reaching out for some help. 
somehow or other. Anyway, I marry for X amount of years, Baruch Hashem with a good Shalom bias. We have a good relationship and enjoy each other's company. My husband is working during the day, has a full-time job, Baruch Hashem. Okay, she mentions the hours, very full-time, maybe even more than regular. When my husband comes home from work, he helps me put the kids to sleep and he sits down on the couch to chill on his smartphone. He watches the news, interesting videos, etc. He sits till late at night when it's already time to go to sleep and then goes to bed. Sometimes he will fall asleep on the couch just from sitting and doing nothing because he's so bored. I try to entertain him, schmooze, watch together with him, play games, etc. But a lot of times the night just goes on, same old boring. I would really love for him to go out at night to a shir, learn with a chavrusa, etc. like most men do. However, when I tried explaining to him how important it is that he go out, even to socialize with his friends, he said he's fine sitting at home and I shouldn't feel bad that he's bored. He even told me that I should do whatever I want and ignore the fact that he's home, meaning I don't have to feel obligated to keep him company the whole time. My question is, how can I get him to go out at night instead of sitting and doing nothing the whole night, wasting his night on the phone? He won't even go back to Davim Minchamarev. The only time he goes to shul is Shabbos, which used to really bother me, but then I learned to accept that I won't be judged for his wrongdoings and I can't be his mashgiach. He knows that it bothers me since I have told him in the past. Am I supposed to keep on telling him? If you could please help me since it really bothers me, just seeing him sitting and doing nothing, killing his nights. I know I shouldn't complain because a lot of wives have the opposite issue with their husbands going out too much, but I wonder if this is the healthy balance. I don't think so. Since I also want my space at night to schmooze on the phone and I feel bad doing it when my husband is around, I also feel like we get bored of each other so so much quicker because he's home so much of the night. It would be so much better if he goes out a bit and then comes back home. I would appreciate it if you can help me out. Thanks in advance. Okay. Very articulate and clear uh, what the issue is over here. So let me start just by explaining the issue the way I see it and then talking about what should or should not be done about it. Uh, the first thing that I want to pick up on uh, is the fact that you're writing to me that we have a good shalom bias, a good relationship, we enjoy the, each other's company, and the husband has a good job, you know, I, I, I want to commend you for that because unfortunately this is something so many people can learn from unfortunately some people when they have a problem they have an issue and, and it's an issue you know, an issue my husband's sitting on the phone wasting his time and things like that and getting bored of each other and, and I, you know, I don't have my space there's so much negativity that people could pick up on sometimes and, and could harp on and very many people do and I don't mean to say this because I'm trying to get you to do that on the contrary I want people to learn from you if you have a problem and something's bothering you in a relationship and that makes it you don't see the good and you can't appreciate the good anymore, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You're hurting yourself. How many people, unfortunately, would say, well, we don't have a good show and bias because it's meaningful to me that he goes out at night and I told him to and he doesn't go out. And I don't have my space and this and that, so we don't. So that, that's affecting the whole relationship. And very many people look at things in black and white terms and when there's a problem, everything becomes a problem. And when something's bothering you, the whole thing is a problem and nothing's good anymore. And that, that, that's, a very, that's a very big problem. Some people take for granted the fact that, oh yeah, we have a good relationship, we enjoy each other's company, yeah, I know, but... What do you mean, but? Don't take it for granted. If you appreciate each other and have a good relationship and like each other, that's not something to be taken for granted. You do have an issue about your husband sitting home too much at night, okay, that's a problem. Maybe everyone has a problem, maybe everyone has some problem, maybe some people have more problems. But to see something and say, you know, life is not good and it's not what I wanted and start complaining about it. See, when something's written with such a positive... Um, um, attitude, sometimes people won't even realize like, yeah, what does she really have to be so negative about? But no, there are people that harp on things like this, turn it into big fights and challenges, and then no, nothing's good anymore. It's very sad. I just heard something interesting this week, so I'll repeat it, even though it doesn't really I don't know how much it fits into this discussion, but there was something very inspiring 
a friend of mine told me that he was in the hospital, his wife had a baby, and in the, in, in the hallway of the hospital, he heard someone else from the next room whose wife was also going to have a baby very soon, um, talking on the phone, and he said, yeah, it should take about another hour, then I'm out of here. He was talking about it very, uh, you know, not, not, not in grateful and happy terms. Yeah, I'll be out of here soon, like as if he doesn't have the patience to wait around. Anyway, sure enough, an hour later, he heard this guy again on the phone saying that, yeah, so it's over with, and I'm out of here now. And it seems that the person on the phone asked, um, is everything okay? How's your wife? How's the baby? Everything healthy? Yeah, what should be the problem? Why should there be a problem? Yeah, everything's fine. I'm going. So this friend of mine um, turned to the Sadiyin Gaman, Hamishin Gaman, and he told him, you know, I hope you don't mind me telling you, but I just heard you talking to someone on the phone and saying, you know, why should there be a problem? Everything's fine. I'm out of here. And I think you might be taking for granted the fact that you just had a healthy baby. Hashem helped you make a simcha happy in a healthy way. Your, your wife, the baby, said, he said about himself, I myself had a child who was born with kidney failure and, and other problems and things weren't so smooth. And when I'm here now for my sixth, seventh child, for example, I'm very grateful that everything's going fine. I know that so many things could go wrong. I don't take it for granted. Anyway, the guy heard him out, but he gave him a little attitude and just walked away. He didn't look so impressed by his little speech. Um, they didn't exchange names. He didn't introduce himself. He just told him. He said, I hope you don't mind. I'm giving you a piece of my mind. But, you know, this is what I think is very important for you to hear at this, at, at this, uh, uh, you know, at this time. Anyway, a few, day, a few days later, or a week later, he gets a call, my friend. And the person on the phone said, is this so-and-so? He said, yeah. He said, okay, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are because you approached me in the hallway of the hospital two weeks ago. You probably remember. And you should know that your words went deep into my heart and the whole night I was thinking about them. And they really woke me up to reality about how much I have to be grateful for and how much I shouldn't be taken for granted. And it's already a few days that I'm thinking about it and thanking Hashem that everything is going fine. I'm being thankful that things didn't go wrong and realizing that there are so many hundreds of different things that can go wrong. And, and, and you know, when everything goes right, you really have to be thankful. And he's like, how did you get my number? He said, believe me, it took me many, many phone calls to find out who you are and your number. I just wanted to call you up and thank you for bringing that to my attention. The point being that so often there are things that go well in life and people only see the negative and that's how we're wired and that's what we notice and that's what we're attracted to see and, and sometimes it just has to be pointed out. So in this case, we're, where the writer herself is saying that Hashem, we have a good show and bias, we have a good relationship, we enjoy each other's company and noticing the good about his job and things like that, it's wonderful and that's how people should be and whenever you have a problem, keep it isolated and don't let it um, you know, disturb your whole perception of a situation or, or perception of a relationship and things like that. Sometimes even the most important thing, the most important thing is going to be missing in a relationship or in anything. Um, and even then, it, it's, it's your decision if you want to make the fact that the most important thing is missing. Does that mean that nothing else counts? Or no, there are still another six, seven, not as important things that really are good. That's something to be thankful about, something to show appreciation to your spouse and to Hashem and, and to be grateful about. So that's just something I did want to point out. Okay, another thing that you mentioned over here about, and, and, and very correctly so, so I'm, I'm impressed by it and I want to point it out and, and discuss it, the fact that you mentioned that unfortunately sometimes women have other problems, or the opposite problem of a husband staying out too much. And you think, you're being thankful that that's not your problem. But like you mentioned, extremes are no good. It's true, extremes are no good. And any husband that's out too much is a problem. Um, being home too much is also a problem. There is a healthy balance for everything. But honestly, um, I think being out too much is a bigger problem for a few reasons. I'm not going to go into exactly why, but the point is that there's no one to have a relationship with even. Um, sometimes you don't know where someone is when they're out too much. 
Sometimes people are too distracted and too stimulated and too busy with other things and, and there's no one to talk to anymore. So I think being out more than being home might even be a bigger problem. And regardless of if it's bigger or worse, or which one you'd want to pick, you, I think, like you're saying, you want to be thankful for the fact that your husband is home and you know where he is and there's no one to talk to. Even if it gets a little boring, um, you know, better than the, the women or men, whoever it is, that are up late at night and just wondering, like, when is this person going to come home? When are they going to talk to me and think about me and realize that I'm here? So that's also something to think about. Now, again, like you correctly messaged, I'm just pointing out different things that you mentioned, but I think it's important to elaborate on them and point them out one at a time. This issue that you're dealing with here is not, is not your issue, it's his. Now, I know it's bothering you and there's something you could do about it maybe, and you're, it's entitled, you're entitled that it bother you, but this is his issue for a few reasons. Number one, like you say, you're not responsible for what someone else does. So if he's not going to shul or wasting his time or doing silly things, it's not your responsibility, first of all. In general, you're not responsible for what someone else, if someone else made a mistake or did a mistake. Second of all, you're not responsible to be mechanach, your husband. So the fact that he's doing things wrong and should be taught or should be brought to his attention, let's say, it might not be your responsibility. Now, obviously, there's a, there's a subtle way of trying to help everyone around you and making sure nobody around you is making a mistake and not just watching passively when somebody does something stupid. But in terms of a chrayas, of being your husband's mashgiach, that's definitely not your job. Just recently, somebody was telling me that his wife was explaining to him that it must be the job of a wife to be mechanach her husband, because if not, then why is she going to school? Why is she being taught so many things if after, the, if after her marriage she's not supposed to say anything and not supposed to be mechanach her husband or not supposed to even impose on her husband the different things that she was taught and just surrender to what he was taught and things like that. She was using the fact that she goes to school and learns so many things in seminary or school as a proof that she's expected to make sure that everyone around her is doing the right thing. Again, it's obviously very silly, but it's not the job of a wife to be mechanach to be or mashgiach of a husband. Um, and generally, you're not responsible to get someone out of a problem. When somebody's in a problem, it's also not your responsibility. It's also like a codependency where somebody sees someone else having a problem and feels responsible. Like, it must be that I'm doing something wrong or I should be doing something. And it's really my responsibility. It's not. So your husband has a problem. The fact that it's affecting you is something else. But the issue that you're discussing over here is definitely someone else's um, problem. Now, whatever you might, might want to do to help your husband, because you want to help your husband, because he's your husband, and you want to be helpful, and you want to do whatever you could to make things better, even if you mean yourself, or you mean him, whatever it is, it should not be with the feeling that you're responsible. And it's something very important. When somebody feels responsible to help someone else, and they feel like, it's, it's, I must do this, and I have to do it, and, and if I don't do it, then what's going to happen, and, and, and things like that, automatically it becomes more of a burden, because you feel burdened by the fact that you have to do something like that. Automatically, there's more resentment when it's not working, because, mm-hmm. listen, I'm supposed to make this happen, and you're not working along. And I'm going to keep on trying, and you're going to keep on resisting, and things like that. Automatically, there's more resentment when things don't go well. And thirdly, it doesn't work. The more you carry a certain burden, and the more you have that, that drive and mission and agenda, very often that's what causes the resistance in another person. Because automatically, your message and your, and your actions aren't as genuine anymore. You know, they're already... You know, with a certain agenda, and, and people people realize what that agenda is. It doesn't come across as a sincere and genuine uh, expression of love and care. So it's something to realize that, like I said, you're not your husband's mashgiach, you're not responsible for his problem, and anything you would try to do to help him should not be with the attitude of, I better get this done, and it's my responsibility, and if this doesn't work, I'll do that, and always come up with something, and, and, and just be driven to like get to my my goal, and, and just mean the end result. It's, you know, it's something to to think about. Now, also, before I go on to anything practical, very much what you're saying, unfortunately, is very typical. Now, I don't mean to comfort you and say that everyone has the same problem, but I, I'm saying, um, 
the fact that a lot of people are dealing with the same thing is comforting. It's comforting because it means there's nothing necessarily specifically wrong with you or your husband. It's nothing terrible. It's nothing that um, that never happened yet. It's nothing that nobody ever solved yet. There's something people deal with, especially in today's day and age where people have all these gadgets and toys you know, that, that make people, um, that keep people very busy, unfortunately. It's funny, years back, when people didn't have these things, you know, they couldn't stimulate themselves with nonsense a whole day. People got bored. People went crazy. And they had to look for what to do. Right? There's only so much you could read a newspaper. There's only so much you could uh, listen to the radio, maybe. But it's a, it's a whole different ballgame. We don't even realize how much the world changed in this aspect. Just last week, I heard someone saying a story. And part of the story went that, you know, somebody was, there was an aide, and he helped someone come to shield, and the aide was sitting in the back. And he was, like, looking at the ceiling and going crazy, because in those days they didn't have smartphones. That's how the storyteller was putting down the details. When you think about it, you know, the, years ago, people went crazy. There's only so much you could do. There's only so much you could sit and, and be bored. People had to find what to do often, right? And, you know, the, but it's a, whole, it's a whole different story today. You could also go crazy. You're going crazy, but you don't realize you're going crazy because you're so addicted to something and watching and, and hearing and stimulating, going from one thing to the next, and this app and that app and status and news and, and whatever you're busy with that you didn't even realize how crazy you're going. Somebody once said a cute um, touch. And we shouldn't go crazy from doing nothing. Right? It's just a play on the words, obviously. But you know, people don't go as crazy. In other words, they don't realize they're going crazy. But they definitely go crazy. People go crazy from being addicted to their devices and, and things like that. And when it comes to Shabbos, aside from the challenge that some people have, which means Shabbos because of it, which was something unheard of a while back, some people talk go crazy because they don't know what to do Shabbos. So this is definitely um, very sad and very um, problematic. And, and, and that's why some people don't even realize when people talk about technology, it's not, it's not, it's not specifically a Yiddishkeit issue. It's not isolated to, to Yiddishkeit problems that, that these smartphones bring. It's, it's the fact that it distracts a person from reality, from life, from family, from responsibility, from, from everything. And I'm saying this because anyone listening who might see themselves in this issue, whether it's men or women, whoever it is, just, just realize what's going on. How many people complain to me? My wife, my wife is on the phone the whole day. She's on the phone the whole night. She's on the phone. My husband, like you're saying. And sometimes people tell me, when I walk in, she fast put it, puts it away, she thinks I don't see. And things like that. The point is not to hide from a spouse. The point is not to have nobody notice how addicted you are to something. The point is to realize, you know, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. I'm not, I'm not a person. I'm not thinking. Every two minutes I'm checking my phone. Every two minutes I'm looking at something. Every two minutes I'm running to the bathroom or locking myself in the bedroom. Or I don't know what you're doing or where you're doing it. When, when you hear, whether you're the husband or the wife listening to this and you hear somebody complaining about this, realize, you know, this is crazy. A guy who's productive and has a full-time job and just wastes his nights, hours and hours doing nothing, falling asleep on the couch. I'm saying, aside from the Yiddish guy issue, what he's watching, aside from the Minchamarov issue, this is crazy. Try to help yourself. Try to make some kind of cap on, on how much or how, whatever. This is just something to think about. Something that again, I'm not, I'm not a big technology awareness person, but just hearing what people, what this does to people, is definitely something to, um, you know, to take seriously. Now, with that said, let me bring out first a few points about a question like this: what not to do? Let's call it what not to do. Okay, you're dealing with a husband. You're dealing with a situation of a husband good good relationship, wonderful guy, but he's wasting his nights. So, I always like to mention that for somebody who never tried to say anything yet, right? She mentioned clearly that she said a few times he should go out and whatever, and he's not taking that. Well, he doesn't seem like he's getting angry, but it's not helping. 
but let me just mention, for the people who never said anything, some, I, I've seen this. I've seen situations where a husband or wife let something happen, and for whatever reason, either they were told not to, or they thought it would be a problem, or they didn't think they had the right to, they never said anything. They never said anything. They never said that they would appreciate if maybe you go out. I would appreciate if I have some time for myself. I would appreciate it would mean so much to me in a nice way. They never, they never said it. They thought you're not allowed to say it, even in a nice way. And they never said it yet. And for all you know, your husband and wife is just waiting for you to say something. Or if you don't care, then I don't care. But if you do care, I'll, I'll do something about it. Very often there's a problem going on because, I don't know, it doesn't seem my wife really has an issue with it. Why? Because she never said anything about it. Why didn't you say anything about it? I don't know. I didn't know I'm, I didn't know I'm allowed to. Same thing the other way around. I've seen women who had issues doing things they shouldn't have been doing or being involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. And the husband, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, he didn't feel confident enough or he didn't think he was allowed to say something. Not because he was afraid, because he knows her well and he knows that whenever he says anything, she takes it wrong. And in general, he didn't know he was allowed to say something. And if you'd only say it once or twice in a nice way, maybe she would do it for you. What, what, you know, so so to, to make a big rule that you're never allowed to tell your spouse anything is, is wrong. However, if you did say it once or twice and it wasn't taken well and didn't accomplish anything, that's what you have to realize right, to go to the next step and stop nagging and stop saying, stop getting frustrated, stop laying it on thicker and thicker and causing more and more resistance and more and more resentment because you, know, you, you keep on telling them what to do and things like that. You have to realize when it's not working, it's not working. So the fact that it's not your responsibility, and the fact, to, together with the fact that it's not working, is reason to take into consideration maybe this is just not the way to go. To keep on saying, and keep on expressing how unhappy you are, and keep on giving the impression like, like you're very unimpressed, and very you know, not satisfied with, 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 with another person. So that's, you know, trying to control someone, and trying to put them down, or trying to make them feel stupid, or trying to bring their attention more and more, and trying to bring proofs about how wrong they are, that's not the way to go, and it usually doesn't accomplish that much. On the, on the contrary, it's usually um, counterproductive. Another thing, even, even if it's not in terms of, of Yiddishkeit, let's say, even if it's not in terms of using your phone and wasting your time, just in terms of, I need my space, you have to get out of here. Many people do that. Many. I don't mean many. I don't mean that it's okay. I mean to say, I've heard this many times. Um, people who try to, I need my space, you have to leave. Besides the fact that part of it is wrong, I have to leave because you need space. This is my house just like yours. And I've seen people do this to an extreme. You can't come home for another two hours and things like that, which is, which is very not good, not healthy. Um, but even in terms of just getting your husband out by all means whatever it takes and just saying please could you go out just go out do me a favor just go out for two hours I don't care what you do if you dive in or anything just go out aside from the negative message that it gives someone that it gives someone get out of my way get out of my hair even though it could be explained and it makes sense and people do need their breathing space but just pushing someone out the door is, is never a good message first of all second of all you don't know where he's going a guy who doesn't a guy who's not... Go- and again, I don't mean to put on your husband. He must be a wonderful person. And he's a also. But I'm saying somebody who's not necessarily motivated to go learn or to go daven, pushing him out of the house. I, I don't even know. Where's he going to go? Who's he going to meet? What's he going to do? What do you do if instead of watching on his phone, he goes watching somewhere else? I, I don't know. So I'm saying the fact that he's home um, is, not, is, is better than just hanging out if he doesn't have where to go. So just pushing someone out of your way, I, I don't think it's, it's a good thing to do. Now, sometimes you need your space. You can go to another bedroom. Or you could, you could go downstairs, upstairs, in a small apartment, you go in the backyard. There's ways to get space, and there's even ways to communicate it nicely. And says, you know, no offense, I don't mean anything, I just, I just want to ear out a little. That's fine. But pushing someone away because I need my space is a certain rejection, and you don't even know where it's leading to. So I wouldn't suggest it. I wouldn't suggest pushing someone out of the house. I had this issue with, with a teenager also, a booker, sitting home all day, right? So very often parents, you know, mother, at home, I need my space. This booker sitting on my head all day. I know, but pushing him out of the house means you don't know where you're pushing him to. It's better that he's home than the street. It's better that he's home than looking for what to do. 
It's not good that he's home. And if you can get him in a healthy way to go where he should go, it's much better. But it's probably better than just pushing him out the door and, and making him look for what to do. So I think that's also something to take into consideration. Now, on the other hand, another thing you shouldn't do is you shouldn't let your husband, your husband's issue, let's call it, control you or dictate how you behave. In other words, if, you, if you're intimidated or you're afraid to talk on the phone to your friends and you, for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable or you don't want to make him feel stupid, that you're busy with other people, whatever it is, and that's where you start getting controlled by his lack of motivation or his lack of getting it, that, that's where it becomes a problem. Or even if you wouldn't want to really spend time with him or watch with him or do other things that maybe you shouldn't be doing, but you're only doing it because you don't see another way and, and, and his sitting around is what's dictating how you're going to behave about it, that, that's very often something wrong. In other words, you shouldn't be taken over by it. He's not telling you to. He sounds like a very wonderful person, by the way. He doesn't sound like a mean guy. Not that if he was a mean person, it would make more sense. I'm just saying, why do you feel obligated to let this control you? Go, go about your schedule. Schmooze with your friends. Schmooze with your sisters. Do what you have to. Be nice to your husband as well. Spend time with him too, which is also obviously the right thing to do, spend some time together. And move on. Don't, don't, don't get so intimidated or taken over and feel so obligated by the fact that he's there and then feel stifled like... Now I can't do anything anymore because he's home and what do I do? You can do whatever you want. Especially if he's not demanding that you shouldn't. But even if you were, there's only so much that you can let someone else dictate um, under normal circumstances as long as you don't do anything wrong, um, you know, what, what you're doing. So that's also... Um, and, and like I said, you know, however much you do want to c- connect with him, it's also on your terms in a healthy way. Talk to your roof, talk to someone, find out w- w- what's a healthy connection. I will play a game with you and I will talk to you. I won't sit on the couch for six hours with you and I won't watch movies with you if you don't want to. I'm saying that don't. this doesn't have to take you over. Very often we get enmeshed in someone else's issue and now we're already afraid to do anything that might rock the boat or might, uh, for whatever reason, based on what someone else is saying or thinking, you know, it might cause some kind of uh, negative message. As long as you're not saying anything wrong or doing anything wrong, there's no reason why your life should now be dictated by someone else's difficulty. Now, with that said, I think I mentioned like four or five things what not to do. Let me start talking about what you could do and you want to do. And this is the besit chuloi. You want to be there for your husband. You want to do whatever you could for him. You want to give yourself a way to help another person. Not because you have to, not because you're not a person, but because you want to be helpful. And you do want to be helpful and that's why you're writing to me, I think. Um, let, let me start with this, just on an emotional level. Part of wasting his night is not only the time that he's giving up, which is also terrible, It's not only that he's not doing the right thing, which is also no good. It's the feeling of being so unproductive. When somebody wastes his night, right, subconsciously, as time goes on, he's he's not feeling good about himself. He's not accomplishing anything. This is the same thing men and women who who do nothing. Now, I know people get very offended when you say, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. But some people know that they're not really accomplishing much. And they could be doing much more. And they're not, for whatever reason. It doesn't feel good. And that's part of the reason why people try to convince people, you know what I did today? You know how much I'm doing? You know I'm not, you know what I accomplished? Because they, everyone wants to feel fulfilled and accomplished. So letting your husband get wasted away and feel very unproductive, if, maybe you can help him with that. Maybe there's something you can ask him to do in a very genuine and subtle way. Not because he's trying to keep him busy or get him to learn or daven. Nothing with him, no agendas. But I need help. Maybe you could help me with this or that. Maybe you could take care of this thing for me. Only if you have time by night. If you could take it a half hour, maybe it'll feel better that somebody needs him. Maybe you'll feel better that he's needed and wanted and, 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 and productive and feel fulfilled that he's accomplishing something. That, that's, you, you, you don't know what you do for someone when you ask them for a favor. I talk about this often. Whether it's because you're making them feel needed or because you're building the relationship or because you're making them feel productive that they're accomplishing something. In other words, why are you letting him waste away if you could also benefit from his help and let him feel good that he's being helpful? 
even if it's just part of the night, even if it's just a small something, you know, that's already a good idea. Now, if you want, and only if you want, and how much you want, maybe spend some meaningful time with him. Again, it's not your responsibility to spend three hours with him. But maybe you could ask him if he'd like to, you know, we have time by night, we're not busy. Maybe we could spend some time together. Maybe we could read a book together. We could learn something together. Maybe we could hear a class together. Maybe we could learn some parenting skills together. It doesn't have to be learning or davening or anything. Maybe we could do something. Maybe we could learn some kind of skill together. Recently, I, I spoke to a man. He and his wife learned a certain skill, a certain crafting kind of thing that, that ended up bringing panus and ended up bringing money. And it was just interesting. It was stimulating. They both enjoyed it. There was something about it. Now, maybe you're not the type. Maybe he's not the type. I'm just saying, if you come up with something that you could read or get involved in or appreciate or watch a class online, whether it's an entertaining class, but it's a, some kind of Yiddishkeit thing or some kind of something, at least some kind of self-help, I don't know what, but something meaningful. Maybe it's a meaningful way of spending time together. You both look forward to it. You both have what to talk about later. You both gain from it and benefit from it. Again, you don't have to, and you only have to do it, and you only want to do it as much as you're okay doing it. But maybe this will help both of you make something out of the night, even before he decides to really take things into his hands and be a man and do whatever he's supposed to be doing. The, the wasting it on silliness and, and trivial nonsense instead of at least being productive and accomplishing something and gaining something and learning something is already something. Maybe take an Amazon course together and figure out how you could use an hour by night to make an extra few bucks. You know, do something meaningful and that will probably make both of you uh, feel a little better about that. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's even just taking a walk or, or some exercise. I don't know. Something. Something, something a, a little meaningful that turns it into something. The night's not going wasted. Another idea that I would mention here is not you nagging him to go out to learn, but finding someone in a very, very gentle way, very gentle way. It could be a brother, it could be a friend, it could be a roof, it could be anyone, who would encourage him to come out and say, you know what, the uncle, maybe you come learn with me a little, maybe this, maybe that. If somebody does it in a nice way, in an encouraging way, um, very backhandedly, and that also might just be something. There's no reason to not have him attracted to leave. Again, not because it's your responsibility, but because it will help him and it will help you and you'll get your space. Pushing someone out the door or nagging about it is usually just counterproductive, but getting someone else to encourage him nicely and make him feel good, make him feel needed and special and wanted, you know, that's definitely um, something that I think would be a good idea. And if that does happen, or if anything happens, any, any kind of progress happens, major, appropriate, but major appreciation. Obviously, it shouldn't be inappropriate. Where Oh, finally, you're doing something, I'm so excited. You just gave it away. But if you could be very expressive about, wow, going to learn, it's so, it's so special, oh, you're making a scene, make a big deal about it, things like that, you know, anything. Even if, it's, even if it's not nearly as much as you want, show major appreciation and compliment you know, your husband for, for, for making any kind of progress in this area. Another thing, and this is very often where sometimes people don't do it at all, but people don't do it right. But, for example, you want your husband to daven, right? It's not your responsibility to daven, and you're not going to tell him to daven. But daven yourself. If you daven, not like a rebbitzin, not like someone who's giving a message and davening for three quarters of an hour so that he feels stupid that she's davening, he's not, and things like that, which I've seen people do the wrong way. But in a nice way, daven. Take a few minutes, daven sincerely, and, and you tell me, out of my mind, or you had to mind the kids, or whatever, you're going to daven for something. Or, in a gentle way, you can mention, you know, yesterday I davened for this and this happened. If you're a good role model, and it's not the responsibility of a wife to teach her husband to daven, no, but in a gentle way, if you daven, he might copy you. Now, it shouldn't be with an agenda and get more frustrated when it's not working. But if you go daven mincha, when he's there, for example, and he'll see it, he, he might learn from it. He might be tempted to do it also. It, it might mean something to him. So that's also something to think about. And 
talking about davening already, if you're davening, daven for him. Sometimes we don't realize the koyach of tefillah. Because yesterday I was talking to somebody who mentioned something about, uh, you know, I had this issue, and I daven to Hashem, and Baruch Hashem, whenever I daven, I see, it's not that he has a magical tefillah. When you daven, very often you see that you help, if you look for it and you notice it. And it's nice when people just uh, see it that way. I once said a touch on the words of Maspal about Chavayi Rabbi Tzuruch Loisaduvar Inan Etchila. Right? Chazal teaches that if you daven for someone else and you need the same thing, then you'll be answered first. It looks almost like a skilla, you know, like a trick. You know, you daven, you need it. You need to be helped with panusa. You daven if someone else should be helped with panusa, and you're going to be answered first. I once said a cute touch. I don't know how true it is, but I'm just mentioning it. Maspal about Chavayi. If you daven for someone else. And you need that tefillah. In other words, it means something to you that that person is helped. You're not just davening because it's a nice thing to do davening for someone else. You're davening for someone else because it means something to you that that person gets help. You care about that person. You need that thing should happen. You're not just davening because it's nice to say a tefillah for someone. Then, such a tefillah gets answered right away. And anyway, in this case, it's it's pretty um, simple pshat. You know, you're davening for your husband and you need him to be helped and you mean it and you're davening sincerely to Hashem that he be helped. That could be a big uh, answer that, that could be a lot of what you could do. Very often there are things that are not in our control, whether it's someone else's behavior, or someone else's spirituality, or someone else's choices, or someone else's free will. And davening that the person has the to do the right thing, and has the motivation, has the strength to overcome these challenges, is also something you could do. So I hope that when you avoid the things that you shouldn't do, and you do these few th- ideas that might help you, then with the Shmaya, you'll be able to accomplish what has to accomplish. You'll, you'll be able to see that it was accomplished what had to be accomplished, and you'll show a lot of appreciation for it. You'll use this challenge and this um, achievement as just another way of making your husband feel very good, building the relationship further, and promoting your Shalom bias to be even better, caring about your husband even more, and being even closer, and I have yourselves live together.